and welcome to Sippin' Bitch, a podcast about booze, culture, and friendship served neat. I'm Kath. I'm Diane. And I'm Renee. In this episode, we're going to talk about the bad men who are out there and what we're going to do with them. Oh, I'm sure we could put our heads together and come up with a couple of options. So, fix yourself a drink and pull up a chair. We'll be back right after this. Welcome back to Sippin' Bitch, where we ask the tough questions like, what vintage goes with violent misogyny and unchecked privilege? This week, something Spanish has the name Wolf in it. Boilermaker. Uh, what now? The Boilermaker is a whiskey shot and a beer back, which I understand is bartender for uh, a beer chaser, and is considered by some, and by some I mean me, to be the quintessential American cocktail. It's cheap, it's easy, and it gets you hammered fast. Which are the same qualities that make the Boilermaker my choice for the signature cocktail, emphasis on dick, for toxic masculinity. (laughs) So here's how you make a Boilermaker. You pour yourself a shot of whiskey, and today's whiskey is Collingwood Blended Canadian Whiskey with a toasted maple wood finish. Sounds vile. It's pretty good. You drink the whiskey, put down the glass, and then you drink your beer. Today's beer is Pabst Blue Ribbon because nothing says American cocktail like beer that tastes exactly like water. I just watched that entire process, and uh, wow, more than one of those in this episode is going to be nothing but slurring and rage. Yeah, I'm not drinking that because I like not feeling like death afterwards, so instead I'm going to be sipping on some whiskey, the same aforementioned Collingwood, with a couple of splashes of water, although by the time we're done with this conversation, I may be gulping it wholesale. We'll see what happens. <laughs> the Boilermaker is a tough drink for a tough conversation, or you could call it a macho drink that insecure people, but mostly men, use to front toughness to women and other men as if when the great getting up day comes, God is going to give a single damn about whether you drank your whiskey straight with a beer or you preferred an evening Chardonnay. Unless you drink rosé. My God has no truck with rosé. Red or white, pick one. Freeze! Freeze! So, more, more for me. More for me. Sorry. Pour yourself a glass, and we'll be right back after this short break. Welcome back. It's only May, but it's been a hell of a spring already. If you've been following the news, or even if you haven't, you may know that Bill Cosby was found guilty. Apparently, if you feed quaaludes and assault 64 women, one of the charges will eventually stick. The second time you're brought to trial. Bye, America's dad. Harvey Weinstein might face his day in court. But on the flip side... Barely six months after Charlie Rose was fired for being a disgusting, sexually harassing pig, he's apparently shopping a TV show where he interviews other disgusting, sexually harassing pigs. You know, the more things change, the more they stay the same. Six months. Six months from being fired, from whipping your dick out at people who don't want to see it. No one wants to see your dick, No one wants to. General rule. I know. Six months from whipping your dick out as a side... Sorry. Six months from being fired for whipping your dick out as a high 
to shopping around a show where you spend the time interviewing other men who got caught and feeling persecuted? Hard to say. And then there's men like Matt Lauer, Mario Batali, and Louis C.K. who have, I guess, lately been slowly opening the front doors to their hidey holes and exposing their faces in public. Likely, probably so they don't get hit in the face with flying objects, but probably more tentatively to sort of gauge, read the room, and test the waters to, I guess, potentially but more tentatively test the waters to eventually return to public life. What a time to be alive. Ah. I, I mean, there was an article in The Hollywood Reporter where The Hollywood Reporter asked a bunch of comedy club owners how Louis C.K. should come back, and I'm like, maybe Louis C.K. shouldn't come back. Louis C.K.'s made a ton of money. How about all the women that Louis C.K. harassed out of the business? How about they get a comeback? But that's not a question people ask. Mm-hmm. And as much as we would like the Charlie Roses and the Mario Batalis and the Louis C.K.'s who always straddled that line of you're extremely talented and sometimes I think you get it, but then your joke always goes to that place where I'm sitting in the audience going, you you don't actually get it. So the sexual harassment, not surprising. Mm-hmm. But the Louis C.K.'s, the Charlie Roses, the Matt Lauer's, the Mario Batalis, the Harvey Weinstein's, the fucking tangerine shit gibbons of the world what do we do with them we can't dig a hole and drop it drop them down it it's illegal so the question we are left with the question we're going to discuss is what do we do with the bad men what can we do though I am all for leaving them on an island and ignoring them but they are just not doing the decent thing and slinking away in shame I, I I mean I agree with you. I don't know. I mean I'm I'm at a loss because of the way that our society works. It's like, I mean they're like cockroaches. It's like even if you were to condemn them, what's not to say that somebody's not going to see their side of things and and support them and and they'll eventually make a comeback or wait for things to blow over and then they'll come back, thinking that everybody's got a short term memory. There was a New York Times article uh, that I read last week, written by. Uh, Katie J.M. Baker, uh, who who was one of the reporters at BuzzFeed who helped break the Harvey Weinstein story, who really provided fuel for me, too, that led to Time's Up, that, that created this movement that we're trying to grapple with. Uh, and she wrote an article that asked the same question, what do we do with the bad men? She... Uh, Baker covered uh, Title, I think it's Title IX in the United States, mm-hmm. uh, and that looked at eliminating sexual ine- gender inequality on college campuses in the United States. And in that case, it meant, um, gee, shockingly, if you sexually assault one of your students, you get thrown out of school. And her question was, having watched what happened in the United States on college campuses where students who were found to sexually harass other students, again, uh, 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 people who fell short of criminal offenses, ended up being passed through the college system. You know, it's like 
society at large is recreating all the worst parts of the pedophile scandal in the the Catholic Church. Mm. These college professors are just go from campus to campus. Students go from campus to campus. And her question was, what do we do with the bad men? Because unfortunately, there's not a large hole in the middle of the Pacific Ocean which we can drop them down, preferably with weights tied around their ankles. The thing that strikes me is, because I also read that article and I've read a lot of articles, is that the bad men don't feel bad. They feel resentful and they feel persecuted, not for what they've done, but for the, the fact that they've gotten caught. And it's that stunning lack of shame that... It doesn't surprise me, but it's just this, this, this continual just lack of shame. And again, it goes back to society and especially the perception of who owns a woman's body. By the way, it's the woman who owns their own body. But this perception that society has some kind of say over a woman's body, that all these men are just coming back going, oh, well, I've spent six months in, in, in the wilderness can I come back now? Like, no, no, you can't come back now. No, you don't get to come back. This isn't a temporary thing. You didn't like randomly shit your own bed. You know, you didn't let food spoil. You assaulted multiple other beings. There is no comeback from this, but society is allowing comeback. Like there was that New York Times article, um, where some opinion writer actually decided to give incels um, what's what I'm looking for? The time of day. The time of day. I'm like, no. If you read Dan Savage, no. Incels do not get time of day. Incels do not get access to hot women. Incels do not even get access well, to I, sex workers. Sure. Well, that is because incels... Oh, fuck. I refuse to use that word. That's because these sad, self-loathing, yet entitled... I, I almost feel like we're conflating things that maybe we should keep separate because as awful as Charlie Rose is, Charlie Rose is a symptom of a derangement in our society, but his path doesn't end in terrorism. And that's something we could probably talk next segment about. Okay. Uh, but one thing that you kind of touched on that I think, I think this is the thing that bothers me about all those incidences whenever these people are caught and it's discussed and there are think pieces inevitably somebody says this person has made a mistake they've made their mealy mouth apology can they come back but my issue is that they're looking at it as a mistake tripping down the stairs is a mistake wearing your shirt inside out is a mistake exhibiting predatory behavior towards people that signifies a, a type of intent. It's not. Yeah. It's not a, a lapse of judgment. It's. An, it's. It's. It's planned. There's a purpose. Yeah. That's. I really like what you're talking about there, because um, it brings me back to Baker's article, and she raised an issue that I think, especially as Canadians, maybe provides a path. And I'm conflicted about whether or not. We should even be providing a path because, God damn it, I'm a woman and I don't know why I have to do the work to make the world a better place or a more hospitable place for men who don't offer me basically 
the benefit of basic human dignity. The Charlie Roses of this world don't whip their dicks out to their male subordinates. Now, which is not to say that men don't harass and assault other men and that there aren't women who harass other men because those are things both that happen. But by and large, overwhelmingly, it's men harassing and assaulting women. And I resent terribly the fact that I, as a woman, end up having to do the scut work of society because men, frankly, as a group, aren't willing to do it. But Baker does suggest something that I'm going to offer up here. She suggests we take a page out of indigenous justice and look at restorative justice. What if the way we deal with the bad men, maybe only when we get them young, maybe only we apply it to high school and college and university campuses, is a form of restorative justice? Sort of like a first offense type scenario? Uh, yeah. <laughs> I, I, love, I, love, I love your optimism. I love your optimism where you think that... <laughs> oh, I don't think. I'm, I'm, I'm just asking the question. I'm going to read an actual quote from Baker's uh, op-ed uh, because I think it, it... Victims, communities, and the wrongdoer together discuss the crime committed and what should be done to make amends. Um, and she... The problem with this is, of course... It relies on perpetrators to admit wrongdoing, which is a huge problem when you're discussing sexual harassment and sexual assault, particularly in the workplace, particularly in schools, particularly in social circumstances. I I was having a conversation with a colleague just today where I was talking about how tragic and disordered it is that every woman I know of my age, all every woman woman I know in my peer group has a story they can tell and it normally goes like this. The first time I was sexually assaulted, the first time I was sexually harassed, the fact that even for women who have not been violently assaulted, it's not a one-off. But what do you do with the bad men? Because otherwise, you know, otherwise you get the Charlie Roses who think, well, I haven't shown my face in public for six months, so we're all good now. Or the Louis C.K.'s who, who you know, again, oh, I haven't, I haven't worked in six months, setting aside the fact that both of these men are millionaires, no, I haven't worked in six months. Maybe it's time for me to just maybe start doing a small club tour and I'll workshop some material about how I've learned not to masturbate in front of my female colleagues. That doesn't redress the damage done to the women, doesn't address the women who have been harassed out of this community because they didn't feel safe. The women who've given up jobs and opportunities because they don't feel safe because you decided someone really needed to see your dick. And the fact that they didn't ask to see your dick wasn't a barrier. Mm. 
I don't know if there is an answer to that, because like you said, the restorative justice starts with the bad guys admitting they did something wrong. And half the time, they don't think they did. They didn't. As far as they're concerned, showing their dick's just a way of saying hi. No one wants to see your dick. Ever. In life. If you've got ideas, let us know, because, again, my entire idea is to drop drop them on a deserted island and let them fight it out, and we just ignore them. Or we film it as a reality show. We might as well make some money off their carcasses. And on that note, we're going to take a break. Have another drink. I know I will. (laughs) And we'll be back in just a moment. Welcome back. Uh, Speaking of bad men, uh, you know, we've been sadly dealing with a lethal form of it in our own backyard the last few weeks. Yeah, Toronto. Yeah, I hate to say it, but we have our own cadre of angry men. One, who I refuse to name, hit and killed 10 people, the majority women. And I am so angry about it. I am so, so angry about it. It's just like, this guy fundamentally got into a van, and on the first beautiful spring day in Toronto, in an area of the city, north of the city, that is really vibrant. And if you know anything about Canadians, as soon as it gets above 10 degrees and the sun is out, we're all out going, yay, we don't have to wear Parker. They're out, they're absorbing the sun. It's lunchtime, and this guy deliberately went and killed 10 people because he felt he felt he was entitled to a woman or to women and that's that's what it looks like what what we know what we can say is on April 23rd uh, around about after one in the afternoon uh, a man got in a van and he drove down Young Street from Finch South, and all the evidence we have now looks like he deliberately tried to run over as many women as he could. As Renee said, 10 people have died. The anger that I feel um, is made sharper by the fact that you could see in real time People losing interest because this was a man who wanted to hurt women. Mm -hmm. He wasn't a Muslim who wanted to hurt infidels. Uh, He wasn't... I don't know what else he wasn't. You have people writing in national newspapers in Canada that it's unfortunate that he wasn't a Muslim terrorist because Muslim terrorism is so understandable. And apparently misogyny is some sort of strange, mysterious, ephemeral cause that we that's just ineffable that someone should hate women so much he'd kill try and kill as many of them as possible. Like fucking human civilization never happened. Exactly. And and we're not going to we're not we're not gonna name the group that he's associated with because names give power but again it goes down to the fact that we live in a society that starts this misogyny from from day one 
Um, like, for example, I, when I went to see Avengers Infinity War, there I am, it's a Sunday, about 12, about 11.30, I'm there, looking forward to, looking forward to it. There's a relatively young father, I'm assuming, with two or three young boys with him, and he's all like, okay, if we see the My Little Pony trailer, we're going to throw popcorn, right? Because My Little Pony is for girls. And I'm like, my thought process was, did that movie come out the year before? Don't get popcorn in my hair. And really? We're doing this? I looked back. Not, I don't think any of these boys were over 10. And there is their adult male role model the guy who took them to the movies, starting them from young, creating this whole, this is for girls, this is for boys, and we don't like this thing because it's for girls. And if you like it, you are clearly not going to be a man. And I'm going to touch on that in a sec, but it also leads into how I feel there's sort of like adverse effects in our language and the way that we characterize these people, in some ways, there's some responses. Like, obviously, there is the automatic response of sort of outrage and sort of naming this for what it is. But then there you've got, like, okay, for example, um, so two days after it happened, I went to my physiotherapist's office. And I was there with my physiotherapist and a student who was an intern. She probably was in her, like, early 20s or whatever. And they were sort of expressing, like, disbelief at what had happened. But the thing that I, that caught my ear was at one point when I think the both of them were sort of just, I don't know if it's like, I don't know what the tone would be. It's kind of like soothing or disbelief. But they were basically saying, you know, like, this guy, he was like, you know, so young. He had his life ahead of him. I can't believe he would do something like this. And I, at the time, just said he knew what he was doing. But what I should have said was, what about the other 10 people who had their lives ahead of them? Why is it when, and this is not the only, first time that we've heard or read this in, in in print or, or whatever, whenever something like this happens where an individual, usually male, does something like whether it's attack a bunch of people for the sheer fact that they're women or sexually assault or whatever, when it's in a court case scenario or if it's in hushed tones in a room somewhere, it's always, that person, he had so much promise. He had his life ahead of him, like he made a mistake. Again, from what I was saying the last segment, it's about purpose, it's about intent. And to loop back to what you were saying about how, you know, this this incidence of what is probably the seeds of toxic masculinity seem to start really young. So Rachel Giza, who's a journalist here in Toronto, and I believe she's the editor-in-chief of Chatelaine, on May 1st put out a brand new book, and I'll bring up the name. It's called Boys, uh, What It Means to Become a Man. And there have been a bunch of discussions uh, on radio and stuff about this. But basically, I think her book is looking at sort of like what the state of it masculinity is today and like what issues that we're dealing with. And of course, one of the chapters about loneliness and friendship kind of feeds specifically into like what we're seeing or what we are trying to deal with now. Um, She also talks about, you know, parents with, with kids who are boys and like, how do you help these boys navigate the society and, and all these like, scripts and narrative that they're supposed to feed into and conform to and and become like how do you not carve another way for them so that they're well-adjusted human beings and masculinity is not one set script one set narrative there's more than one way to be a man Mm -hmm. it's not just you know 
like whatever the the standards are, you know, like provide for your family, make lots of money, be very masculine in any way you can think of. It's a problem that our society can no longer characterize intimacy between two men as other than sexual. Hmm. Not that... you know, not that throughout history societies haven't been English societies, European societies haven't been horrendously misogynistic. They've certainly been chauvinistic, but there used to be a space in how I feel like there used to be a space in how culture described and presented friendship between men that could be intimate, that could be supportive, that could be loving, that wasn't sexual. That that was, in fact, a normal and healthy way for people to relate. Well, the thing is, is we're not really talking about that so much. I get where you're coming from, but we're talking about how masculinity is presented and how people... No, yes, I agree. But how masculinity is presented and how they relate to the other gender but as if, well if the only way in our society which i think rachel giza touches on is to be aggressive is to be dominant is to be the provider is to be stoic then that's no wonder these men are emotionally stunted no wonder these men have no ability to characterize themselves outside of some sort of dominant borderline abusive relationship with a woman they have no way to express themselves emotionally except through domination and violence. And entitlement. Well, that's, that's, the, the, that's the, fundament, the foundation of entitlement, I think. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's just... I think the fact that really annoyed me is after the van incident there was that opinion piece in the New York Times where the writer actually had the gall to suggest that we give people like the van driver, I'm not naming his name, credit, and and we should listen to his point of view. No. No. Oh, I saw a lot of people on Twitter, a lot of people who have been my political fellow travelers, a lot of people who would characterize them as far more progressive and far more left than I am, say... You can't make fun of these people because that just reifies their point. And I've always found that argument, oh, you can't make fun of people because that just makes them more popular with the despicable people that they that support them. It's just an argument for the status quo. It's an argument it's it it's men it's men refusing, frankly, to wake up and smell the murder. Mm. And the thing is, men can be multidimensional. They can be caring. They can be, like, multifaceted emotionally. It's just that they get, like, stomped on and uh, accused of being beta males and all this bullshit. Like, it's ridiculous. And the question is, is, like, what can we do? Well, one, I think we, as women, should stop doing the emotional labor for them. I'd really love to stop doing the emotional labor for them. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. Basic human decency is not a college course. No. I'm not sure where we got to in society where like just basic respect and 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 caring is 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 all we ask for and they, people can't even meet that benchmark. 
And they want to be patted on the shoulder for it when they do. But basic empathy, basic empathy for your fellow human being. Better than empathy. Basic respect. Yeah. Fuck empathy. Empathy is conditional. I don't care if you know how I feel. I care if you respect me. Not as a person who has accomplishments. Not. I mean, yes, I want to be respected for my accomplishments. I want to be respected as your peer. Don't get me wrong. But someone I'm just walking down the street with? I am owed a quotient of dignity as a person who exists the same as everyone else. Exactly. We are not chattel. I'm not a walking glory hole. Get the fuck away from me. That's all I ask. Girl! Girl! Preach! Preach! And we're back. So we're wrapping up. So... What can we do about the bad, bad men that doesn't involve dropping them in a fucking hole or leaving them on an island with man-eating crabs? I don't know. Personally, I am all about the man-eating crabs. <laughs> I would like to see a YouTube video of said man-eating crabs before I make my decision. I have an entire They're apparently list. massive, and they do actually eat, eat, eat people. I have an entire list of parasites I can give you. I am okay with the entire list of parasites. But in all seriousness... What can we do about the bad, bad men? Well, for one, the bad, bad men need to fucking accept responsibility for what they've done. And by the way, hiding away for six months in your, in your vacation cottage in upstate New York or Connecticut or wherever the hell you are, that, that is not an answer. And then coming back after six months? No, you need to acknowledge that you did wrong. You did wrong. And you know what? Stop trying to make a comeback. You are not LL Cool J. You need to make amends, not make a comeback. Thank you. Exactly. But admit you did wrong, and then we can talk about amends. Because as long as we live in a world where they don't even... Where misogynists and all the otherists, the misogynists, the racists, the homophobes, the bigots, all of them can't even recognize what they've done wrong. It's it's just bad. It's not good. It's just going to get worse. Exactly. So can we do anything about it? Yes, yes, we can. We can stop providing the emotional labor for them. I am all like, leave them hanging. Don't, don't pet them. Don't tell them that it's okay. Stop fucking covering them in the New York Times. What is with the New York Times? Stop providing the other side. Dear listeners, the New York Times is not the voice of the resistance. The phone call is coming from inside the publisher's office. Ooh, I like that. Yes. Yes. Right? Stop doing the emotional labor. Let these men hang to dry. Stop rewarding them. Stop rewarding them with, you know, Netflix specials or stop taking sympathetic profiles in Esquire. Exactly. Stop considering their their specials where they interview other men affected by me too. Don't give them meetings. Stop it. You're rewarding them. It's like a dog constantly shits in your kitchen and then you reward him by giving him more food. And on that note, for one last time, Boilermaker, shot of whiskey. <laughs> Jesus. Oh. Beer. I am not rolling you home tonight. <laughs> does not require a website, people. Um, That's it for this episode this of Sip is... and Bitch. 
<laughs> no, it's not. It is it? No, I have something left to say. Okay. Um, this has one of, been one of the hard. We've been doing this for about three years. Yes. This has been one of the harder episodes to put together and do. Uh, we felt that we couldn't ignore it. But I'm still angry. And as, as Renee said, there's not a good answer because there are too many people, mostly men, but a lot of Aunt Coulters out there who enable misogyny in our society, who are quick to, who were quick to dismiss us when we talked about Gamergate, who were quick to poo-poo Hillary Clinton and criticize her when she talked about the deplorables, who go out and talk about, oh, free speech, then let the Nazis speak because they don't want their privilege affected. And that kind of behavior, tragically, has a body count. Mm -hmm. Um, I enjoy the format of our podcast, but sometimes getting shit-faced while shit-talking an issue uh, is hard. And and I, I don't want to get maudlin, but ten people didn't come home. Uh, and to the families and the friends and the colleagues and the peers of Betis Renata Amarasinga, Andrea Braden, Geraldine Brady, Sohei Chung, Anne-Marie Damico, Mary Elizabeth Forsyth, Cho Min, Eddie Kang, Ji-Hun Kim, Munir Abdo, Habib Najjar and Dorothy Sewell, our condolences. We remember you. You are in our hearts and our thoughts. And we go home tonight to try and continue to make a better world for you and in your memory. Rest in peace. On that note, that's it for this episode of Sippin' Bitch. You can stream us on SoundCloud or download our episode from iTunes. Please subscribe and please leave us a review. You can also find us on Twitter at Sip underscore Bitch or visit our Facebook page. If you haven't been there before, just plug Sippin' Bitch into the old Facebook search engine and look for our logo. It's the one with the champagne glass, of course, and Facebook will probably steal your data anyway. <laughs> If you're an Android user, you can now listen to us on the go using the Player FM app. It's free and it's available on Google Play. If you prefer a desktop option, you can find us at player.fm forward slash series forward slash slip dash bitch. Have a good night, everyone. Good night.